Open your Bibles, if you will, to Proverbs chapter number 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all that such as are appointed unto destruction. Open thy mouth and judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. And who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Father, help us today. Open our hearts and minister to us. Speak to us, dear God, as only you can. We'll give you glory and praise for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last Sunday, we began a study that's going to last for just a couple of more weeks on the story of King Lemuel. We discovered last week how that David named his son Solomon. The word Solomon comes from the word shalom, which means peace. And so Solomon was named literally shaloman, peace. He is, he is a man of peace. Nathan the prophet entered the room as they were looking at the child, and Nathan came in and delivered some good news and said, God has chosen a name for this child also, and God has called him Jedidiah. That name Jedidiah literally means beloved of the Lord. So, so, so here's, here's the baby and the mom and dad, which you remember was such a tragic beginning for a relationship. And yet, now here is God, a God of grace, a God of mercy. <clears throat> and, and God says, you can call him peace, but my name for him, I want you to know this about that child. In spite of everything that happened in the past, I want you to know that I love that child. <clears throat> and so God called him Jedediah. King Lemuel, the name Lemuel literally means belonging to God. And I believe there in the, um, after having lost the son that came out of their scandalous relationship, I believe that as Bathsheba looked down at this young child, I believe, we'll talk about this a little bit next week, but I believe that she made some vows to God. And I believe that, that in her vows, she simply said, God, if you'll give me this child, I will raise him for your honor and glory all the days of his life, much like Hannah did and others in the Bible. And so she called his name Lemuel. I believe that King Lemuel is, is not some disjointed king that they drug out somewhere from some uh, Bedouin tribe and stuck his words at the end of the book of wisdom. I believe that this is none other than Solomon. 
I believe that his daddy called him Solomon. I believe that God called him Jedediah. And I believe that his mother called him Lemuel. You belong not to us. It was of the mercy of God that you are here. You belong to God. And so these words are from Bathsheba in chapter 31 to her son. And then in the great story of the virtuous woman, Solomon Lemuel is giving to us the things that his mother taught him about what a godly, virtuous woman would be. Now, we establish several thoughts. If this indeed is Bathsheba and her words that she gives to her son, then we, we learn some things from her life. We learn, number one, no matter how messy your past is, God can make something beautiful of your life and of your marriage. That's a very important thing. doesn't matter how messy your life is. God can take the broken pieces, the marred clay. That's all we all are. We're just clay. And if we're clay, we're marred. And if we're marred, we need the potter. And if we need the potter, it's only God that can make something out of our life other than what is. God can see what can be. He sees the potential in us and what God, what God can do for us. And, and, and so God does that. You know, if you, if you study psychology, you know I, there are five stages of grief. <clears throat> the problem with that is that we think that there are five clearly delineated stages where lines are drawn in our life, and we cross over from this stage into that stage, and wow, I'm glad that's beyond me. Now I'm in a, <clears throat> I'm in a new stage. But, but what we don't realize sometimes is that, that it's all messy. The lines are not clearly drawn in the sand of, of our existence. Sometimes we may not even know when we're crossing from one stage into the other stage because the reality of it is, is that our grief and our brokenness and our shatteredness, the fact that we are shattered people sometimes, it's, a, it's absolutely messy. And so we stumble into the presence of God with all of these broken pieces, and we can't set them out neatly on a table. We literally dump them out of our arms, and they scatter everywhere. And it's only a great and mighty God that can recognize the pieces, know how the pieces fit, and know how to take your life and my life and put it back together. And that's what he did with Bathsheba. Scandal. Heartbreak. How do you think she went home? How do you think she felt the night that she realized she was expecting a child of a man that was not her husband and in fact was the king of the, uh, 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 of the kingdom and would literally scandalize? How do you think she felt when word got back to her that her husband had been deliberately sent to the front lines and was dead? You think she didn't have double guilt? You think that she didn't carry a burden that, that, was, that was bigger than she was? And we talked about the fact that sometimes, as an impressionist painter, um, you can't crowd the picture. That, that, that people that paint detailed pictures, you, you put in all of, the, all of the details. I was in, when I was flying back from Oklahoma City the first week in June for camp, they were having a, they were having a display in the Cowboy Museum in Oklahoma City. And I, I went there on that day, and they have painters from all over America that are Western painters, 
and they paint these, these incredible pictures. There's one of Crazy Horse that is the greatest I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. And some of these pictures, you stand there and you're just literally glued and mesmerized. And people are trying to walk around, and I'm, I'm standing there, and so I step out the way and let them, hurry up, would you? And then I get back up. It's, it's amazing, and I like to get right up on the picture, and I like to see which direction their strokes went. And that shiny spot on that pot, all it is is just a blob of yellow paint, but it looks like reflection. Wait a minute. Impressionist painting is not where you crowd into the picture. Impressionist painting, you have to step away from it to get, the, to get, to get what you're seeing. Okay. So sometimes in life, when you crowd things out, it doesn't look too good. Sometimes you have to give some distance. You have to back away. You have to move yourself from it to see the better things in maybe your relationship, maybe your marriage, maybe your life. That there is, there is a scene that's there. It's messy up close, but the distance that you give it allows you to have perspective. And it brings harmony. And then we learn this, and I think this is so critical. And that is that it is absolutely unhealthy when a man and a woman live as though they are still under the curse that was placed on man and woman back in the Garden of Eden. And that's where we are in a lot of our conservative, fundamental, Bible-preaching Baptist churches. We have a culture that is a curse culture where men have lost their innocence and where they stand guilty before God, exiled from the presence of God. That's what happened to Adam. He carried guilt. And then we have Eve that is condemned to servitude to the point to where women oftentimes live almost as though they're slaves. And we've taken the idea that was given then and we've carried it until today Ignoring the Scripture and ignoring the fact that God has given to us as human beings liberty and freedom in Christ. And the reality of the matter is, just stay with me, you don't have to be right on this, you can be wrong. But, 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 but and this is almost, people would say, what is he preaching? No, it's true. The, the reality of the matter is, is in a lot of our culture, men live under liberty but women do not. And, and, and men are, we're free in Christ. But we take some scripture verses that were intended, study the context of the book of Ephesus and the book of Colossae, and you'll know exactly why Paul wrote what he wrote to those churches and didn't write it to other churches. You'll find out why. And the cult of the goddess Diana, and the fact that in Ephesus they thought that they had, that, that, that they had come from a, lineage of Amazonian women. And, and so there's certain things he has to deal with in those churches that were happening. They, things were dysfunctional and out of line. And none of us should be dysfunctional and none of us should be out of line. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But Galatians 3.13, listen to this verse of Scripture. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So here's what happened. You and me, men and women, male and female, okay, all of us, Dean and Susie, 
Guess what we are? We are redeemed from under the curse. Guess what I get to do? I get to go boldly before the throne of grace. I don't have to sit outside guilty, racked with pain and guilt over my sin. No, I get to go boldly before the throne of grace. And guess what Susie gets to do? She gets to do the same thing. You know why? Because we have been made free from the curse. So I'm not guilty, and she's not a slave. Okay? That's, that's, we take our marriages and we place them back in such a manner that is... I think um, is not pleasing to the Lord. And so we ought to be living our relationships as though we were free and no longer under the curse. And in order to understand that, we have to understand what it was like before the curse, okay? Now, let, let me say this to you first of all, okay? First of all, marriage, are you with me? Erased the not good, okay? Marriage erased the not good. In the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, we find what we call the creation process. God is creating the world and, and, and the stars and in all of the magnificent beauty of His creation. In that creation process, there are seven specific times where God declares something as good. Okay, God made this, it's good. Okay, God made this, it's good. And God made the animals, and God made the fowls, and, and God made the stars also, and it's good. And so seven different times in that process, God declares something to be good. And verse 31 sums it all up where God says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, listen to this, it was, here it is, very good. So God looks at everything He made, God said, I like it. It's very good. It's very good. That was his pronunciation. But then as we read, all of a sudden we run headlong into a verse that's going the wrong way down a runway, one-way one street. Have you ever done that? Have you ever turned on a street and like, oh boy, here we are. Okay, I forget where I was, but we turned somewhere and, and Susie said, Dean, this is one-way street. And the looks on the faces of the people I was staring eye to eye were also saying the same thing. They weren't being as kind, and we won't repeat what they were saying uh, in church. But anyhow, uh, that's what we run into. We're, I mean, it, this is good, this is good, this is good. Then God sums it all up and says, very good. And then all of a sudden, we, we find ourselves going down a one-way street the wrong way because we run right headlong into a verse where God suddenly says, uh-uh, that's not good. That just is not good. In verse 18 of chapter 2, <clears throat> And the Lord God said, It is, listen to the words, not good. It is, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Now, I want you to stay with me. We talked about this some time back, but I want you to think with me for a moment. This is important. Very important. Listen to me. Adam wasn't alone. He, no, no. God was there. So wait a minute. So let no, read that. Wait a minute. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet 
for him. But, but Adam wasn't alone. But, but God was there. He, he had God. And, and so the depth of what God is saying is coming from that declaration. God there, Adam there, and God said, Adam's alone. And so what is God saying? God is saying that he created Adam to need more than just God and Adam. Okay, I, I can see the way you're staring at me. You're thinking, I thought your name was Herring, not Heretic. Okay, stay with me. Okay, here, here it is. Listen, listen to me. God is here, Adam is here, and God said not good. I don't know how to read that any different. If you've got another slant on it, tell me later. God's here, Adam's here, and God said, that's not good. It's exactly, it's exactly what's happening. You know why? You know why? Because God designed Adam for partnership. The, the reality of the matter is, is that Adam wasn't created to walk this journey alone, that, that Adam needed somebody like him. And so here's God and here's Adam, and God said, wait a minute, no, 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 no. Here's God and here's Adam, and God said, he's alone. That's what the, that's what the Scripture says. And so Adam, God's, God's created Adam to need more than just God. Look at, look, at, look at me, look at me. No, no, no. God created Adam to need more than just God. That's what, that, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. Now, listen to me. Here's what people say. All I need is the Lord. Okay, well, th that's, th okay, so that's absolutely true. If, if, we're, if we're talking about grace and mercy to sustain us, that's true. That's all you need is God. Spiritually, yeah, that's, I, I agree 100%. All I need, but... The reality is if we're referring to relationships, not only is that not true, it's not biblical. Because if that was true, God never would have said, Adam's alone. God would have said, Adam's got me and I'm enough. So the reality of the matter is, God, God, has, has, God has never intended life just to be a me and God journey. Look at me. I'm not saying you have to be married. I'm saying you have to have people. God created you and me for community. It is the, in the DNA. It's in the fabric of who we are. We need each other. We need community. And God has made us that way. And so after God said, it's not good, this isn't good, everything else is good, but this isn't good. After God says, everything's good, but this isn't good, God then does something to solve the problem. Okay. You ever met people that, that, are, that can identify a problem, but they offer no solutions? That's always a blessing. No, okay, so you found the problem, okay, what's your solution to the problem? Don't tell me the problem. Don't come to me with a problem if you don't have a solution. So, so here's a problem. It's not good. So what does God do? God, God in chapter 2, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Now, stay with me. Watch this. Adam's alone. Adam by himself is not good. God said, I'm going to make somebody to help him. Okay? I'm going to make somebody to help him. That word literally 
to strengthen and to complete. Now, watch this. Listen to me. Watch this. That means that if God created her to help you, that means that, that, that she is not inferior. It doesn't mean that she's less important. It means that she is more important. Okay? If God made Susie to help me, that doesn't mean that, 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 that Susie's inferior to me. You know what it actually means? That I'm inferior. This, is, this message is raging through this crowd. This is going over. We're going to have more orders for copies of this. And you're going to be handing it out to friends. No, no, it means I am inferior. No, if I can do it on my own, if I'm that good, if, that I, if I'm that superior, I don't need Susie. So the reason God gave man woman was because man was not enough by himself. And so God said, you're, you're, look, you're inferior to what I've called you to do, so I'm going to give you a woman that will help you get the things done. And so it means she helps me do what I can't do by myself. You know what, look, any guy in this room, let me just say this and throw it out here. Let's get this out, okay, because it's not going well anyhow. And, and, and so let's just go ahead and throw it all on the table. Here, here's the deal, look at me. Any guy in this room that will not recognize and admit that, that he is better, he's better because of his wife, that's above my pay grade. I, 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 look, you're, you're so far gone, I can't help you. If you think you can do it on your own and that you don't need your wife and she's just a tag along and she doesn't actually help you do what you cannot do for yourself, I can't help you. Now I can suggest something that would. It's a small ball bean hammer four or five times to the noggin and it might rattle some things loose in there. But the reality is that my wife strengthens me when I'm weak. It means that I cannot accomplish what what I cannot accomplish without her what I can accomplish with her. I cannot do without her what I can do with her. That's what the Bible is teaching here. It means this. She is indispensable to me. Okay. She's indispensable to me. Without her, I'm incomplete. That's what the word help means. It's, she's a completer. She, she came from my side. By the way, look at me. Listen. Since, okay. So, so she's indispensable. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, where did she come from? She came from Adam's side, his rib, right? How many of you are with me? Okay, good, thank both of you. This is, all right, so, so, so she's indispensable, or God wouldn't have given him, but the man is indispensable also, because she came from man, okay? If he repos his rib, you're in trouble, okay? You could be in trouble. Okay, so, so we're both, obviously, Obviously, we're indispensable to each other. Look at me. Listen to me, please. Listen. Marriage is not about hierarchy. Okay? It's not about Big Daddy. My wife calls me Pastor Big Daddy, not just Big Daddy. All right, look at me. Listen to me. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just about Big Daddy and Little Mama. Okay, that's not what this is about. Marriage is not about hierarchy. Marriage is about partnership. Okay? That's what marriage is about. It's about partnership. Now, that brings me to my second point. Marriage was intended to be a partnership. Okay? 
Adam, this is Adam. Let's listen to Adam. Adam chapter, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, this is what Adam said. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's partnership. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Let me say this. Adam didn't actually call her woman. That's not what he actually called her. After living by himself in the garden, see nothing but animals, when God brought Eve forth, he said, Woe, man. So that's actually how you pronounce that, woe, man. Anyhow, so, so, so there's, he, he said the word cleave. You know what the word cleave means? It means to be joined together or to stick. To stick. That, that's glue. Okay, that's togetherness. Now, I want to say this. I want everybody to stay with me. Are you all with me? Because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. Please. It takes two to stick. You can't stick to nothingness. It takes two to stick. So if one person wants the marriage to work and the other does not, I fully understand that there can be situations where a marriage dissolves and where it's, 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 one person doesn't want this to happen, but it happens because the other person isn't cooperating. Okay, I, wasn't, I was born on a Tuesday, but not last Tuesday, okay? So I understand that, okay? I've counseled, I can't even tell you how many couples I've counseled over the years. So yes, I've run into situations where one wants it to work, the other doesn't want it to work, and if one does and one doesn't, guess what happens? It doesn't work. Because there's nothing to cleave to. There's nothing to stick to. So I understand, I understand those things. Now, we're talking about the guy that wrote the book of Proverbs, right? Solomon. Shalomon. Okay, Jedediah. Lemuel. All right? Listen to what he writes. Just stay there and listen to this. Proverbs 1.8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Chapter 4, verse 3, I was, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Chapter 6, verse 20, My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Chapter 10, verse 1, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Chapter 15, verse 20, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son despiseth his mother. Chapter 19, verse 26. He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. Proverbs 20, verse 20. Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Proverbs 23, verse 22. Hearken unto thy father that begot thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Proverbs 23, verse 25. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Proverbs 28, verse 24. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother, and saith it is no transgression, the same is a companion of a destroyer. Proverbs 30, verse 11. There is a generation that curseth their father, and doth not bless their mother. Verse 17 of the same chapter. The eye that mocketh his, at his father, and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagle shall eat it. Now, I don't know how you get anything from that, but father, mother, father, mother, father, mother, father, mother, father, mother, father, mother, over and over. What does that teach us? That in the eyes of God, in the home, there's a partnership. 
You listen to your daddy. You listen to your mama. He's also saying to the husband and the wife, it's you and you. It's not just you. It's not just you. It's you and you. My kids will tell you this, that I have said to them on multiple occasions, you'll stand a better shot. This is when they were younger. I haven't said it to John in weeks. You'll stand a better shot at mouthing off at me and back-talking me than you will mouthing off at your mama because that's my girlfriend, that's my wife. You talk to my wife in an out-of-line manner, and it's you and me, okay? Small golf clubs, backyard, you're blindfolded, I'm not. I mean, I'm just saying, look, look, don't, don't talk. So, so, so it's, it's, not, it's not, hey, he, he's, he's the man in the house. Look at me, listen to me. Do not judge your children harshly if they speak to your wife the same way that you do. If you don't respect her, why should they? If, if, if you talk about your husband, why do you expect them to do anything different? If you get the kids together and you, you pour your soul out to them over why you're unhappy in your marriage, first of all, you're damaging them for life, and they'll never recover from that, and they'll carry it over to their relationship. We, we, listen to me. The one thing that has to exist between father, mother, father, mother, over and over, father, mother, is respect. We ought to respect each other. We ought to treat each other not as though we're under the curse but as though we're under grace and we ought to show utter respect for each other. And by the way, listen, God has promised to a man and a wife blessings together that he will give to neither one or the other. So I can come to God and now, Susie can come to God now, she's going her way, I'm going my way. No, but when we come together to God, God says, okay, I, I, I've got blessings for you as as." Together, I will give you together, as joint heirs together, of the grace of life. He teaches us in 1 Peter. And, and so, if we go rogue on each other and we live for self, we miss out on so much by missing out on each other. I want to just tell you, listen to me. I'm, I'm being honest now. I'm being just, I'm, I'm dead serious. Look at me. Listen to me. If you take Susie out of my life, I'm bankrupt. On multiple fronts. On multiple fronts. I'm, I'm absolutely bankrupt. I, I cannot, I can't function. She completes my life. And so for me to miss out on her would have been missing out on so much in life. And, and, and remember this illustration of the triangle. Everybody uses it. Here's a triangle. Isn't this great? It's a triangle. Here's God. Okay, you with me? Here's you. Here's your wife. Well, that's wonderful, but here's the only problem with that. You stay this far apart. But as you grow closer together, as you get closer to each other, guess who you're getting closer to? And as you get closer to God, guess what's happening? You're getting closer to each other. So the key to our relationship is how close we are to God. When I'm close to God, guess what? Boom. Susie's right there. When there's a gap between us, it's because Dino's over here doing his thing and Susie's over there doing her thing, okay? That's distance. But as I grow toward the Lord and get closer to God, we get closer together. And I want to tell you, when I first got married, I was 19 years old, and, and, 
I was dumber than dirt. With apologies to dirt. Okay. I mean, I, I thought I was ready, and I was in love, I was sure. But, but, but how do you be a husband? Well, my mom and my dad, yeah, we had a traditional family unit, but it wasn't a Christian family unit. So I'm, I'm learning how to love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's, man alive, I was stupid. So I had to learn. I had, I had, I, you know what happened as I grew closer to God? She's getting close. We're getting closer. As I grew closer to God, we're getting closer. Okay? We're getting closer and closer. We're hoping that we'll be so close one day he'll just take us both home at the same time. And it'll all be good. Let me, let me say number three. Partnership. Ready for this? So, so what is God? What's a marriage supposed to be? It's not a hierarchy. It's a partnership. Listen to this. Partnership. Partnership. Okay? Ready for that? Partnership means everybody does their part. That's, that's what partnership is about. Now, if you're going to make any partnership work, the partners have to understand what their role is and what their responsibility is. Any of you guys that work a job know get on the job and you don't know what you're supposed to do and it's not clearly defined, you can't do your job properly because you don't know what your role is and you don't know what your responsibilities are and what somebody else's responsibilities are. And what Satan has focused on doing in the last 20 years, he has focused on confusing us about our roles and about our responsibilities and he's tried to, tried to confuse us as to what we're to be doing in the home. He's made it fuzzy. And our culture is at a point, insanely, where we don't even know what constitutes a home. We don't know what a woman is, and we don't know what a man is. Now, I'm going to say something to you. I want you to listen to me carefully, okay? You better know what your child's being taught in school. You better get your head out of the sand. Because our culture is on a fast track to hell. That's where it's going. And they are teaching things that are absolutely diametrically opposed to what is taught in the Scripture. And if you think your child can be indoctrinated in that type of an education where people think it's their responsibility to allow your child to pick pronouns and even encourage them to pick pronouns, what rock did you want to crawl out from under that you think you can tell my child what they are and that they get to choose what they are? No, God made them what they are. Okay, God created that. And I'll say it, and if it costs me every dime I have, if it costs me, if it costs me a meeting place for the church, if I never have another place to preach, I will never get up in front of a camera and say, I apologize for stating what God clearly created in His Word. No, no, I'm not apologizing for God. God made it, God did it, and it's up to God uh, to, to, to uh, put up with those that, that don't believe it. We, we better get to the place to where we realize, as a parent, we have responsibilities, we have jobs, and listen to me, don't you, don't you, if, if, and if you don't know what they're teaching, it's high time you find out. Okay, it's important. Now, here's what God does, quickly. So God says this, all right, I'm going to clearly define this. Sir, you love her like I love the church. Ma'am, you follow him, submit to him like the church should follow me. I mean, that's not really hazy. That's what God created. 
That's how God said, this is, sir, your responsibility is, loved, is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Look at me. That, look at me. That's hard. That's, by the way, not only is that hard, it's a lifetime assignment. Okay? It's a lifetime assignment. There's not one man in here that could ever stand up and say, do you love, do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Uh, no, but I'm trying. If you ask me, do you love Susie as Christ loved the church? Um, no, but I'm trying. That's my goal. That's my life. I'll, I'll say this to you. I'll say this to you. I love her more today like Christ loved the church than I loved her last week like Christ loved the church. And last year, and certainly when I was stupid at 19, I certainly love her more now like Christ loved the church. So it's, it's getting better. It's a lifetime assignment. Okay? Um, does Susie follow me? Like the church is supposed to follow Christ? No, she still misplaces my tools. I'm looking for my boots the other day. Where are my boots? I just took my boots off. Where are my boots? They're in the closet. Okay, that's energy I have to spend. Anyhow, so, so no, but she's, she's getting better at it. She's, she's working at it, I hope. And, and, and so, no, no, neither one of, this isn't talking about, he didn't say be perfect. He just said work at it, guys. Work at it. Look at me. The question is not, do you struggle? The question is, do you struggle against or with? Are you, are you struggling against each other, or are you struggling with each other to fulfill these roles and become what Christ would want you to become? Now, I'm going to close. Listen carefully. The key, are you ready for this? I'm going to give you the key to marriage, so just hang on. Every, every time I go speak at a meeting, people are sitting there, couples are sitting there waiting on the key. Here's the key. Okay. I've given you the key before, but let me give you another key. Here's a key. Ready, Ready for this? Here it is. The key to partnership, which is what marriage is, is submission. Isn't that great? And guys are saying, Pastor, Way to boil this baby down. boy, let her have it. That's exactly, Pastor. We're to love her. Of course we should. But that's almost impossible. But she can submit. So thank you for nailing that one down, Pastor, that the key to partnership is submission. No, no, I'm not just talking to the women now. See, now what I'm doing is I'm jumping back to the one verse that in every marriage conference in America is avoided. Okay, this is one you, when you preach it on, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, okay? We go to Ephesians chapter 5 and we miss this verse. Why? Because we're men, okay? We're no longer under the curse, we think. But we want to preach about those that are, okay? But look at, look at, look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says this. Ephesians 5 21 says this. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The next verse then says, now, ma'am, you submit to him as the church would to Christ. You love her as Christ loved the church. Those are your specific assignments. But before you will ever do that, and before you can ever do that, before you'll ever do your individual assignments, your joint assignment is this, submit to each other. Submit to each other. You know what that word submission is? That word submission means P 
to arrange ourselves beneath. It's a military word that literally means that, that literally means to line up under. And so here's the guy, and you get in line. So there are some things in life I line up behind my wife in. You know why? Because that's her area of responsibility. Okay? We, we have areas of responsibility. So, so I, there are certain things that I, that, I, that I follow her in. I line up, I line up behind her in. Okay? Certain things in the house I don't tell her what to do with. Okay? When we had our, we had our house built, it was all one color. That's been years ago, okay? You could, peel, you could peel the paint back and rebuild a new house just with the layers of paint. Our living room has been every, I mean, it's just every shade of white. Is it, that's, that's none of my business. I, I, don't, I don't do that. And I said to her, I said, honey, the paint's perfectly good. It's not gone bad. Why would you paint a perfectly good house that was just painted a few years ago? Because I don't like this. I, I want yellow. Well, I like yellow. So she, she, so that's that's her deal. Okay, that's her deal. There's mutual submission. Let me let me say this to you. Look, look. Let me give you First Corinthians chapter seven. Listen to this. We're closing now. Stay with me. First Corinthians chapter seven. Listen to this. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. That's kindness. That's consideration. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. Here's this verse, verse 4. Listen to this. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And, the, and likewise the husband hath not power of his body, but the wife. So guess, guess what happened August the 9th, 1975. Bethlehem Baptist Church, Fairfax, Virginia. John Bonds is doing a wedding. Guess who's there? Dean and Susie. Guess what happened at that altar? I gave ownership up to her. She became my owner. She owns me. Susie owns me. Hey, Dean, I don't want you doing that. Hey, Dean, I don't like you going there. Hey, Dean, I don't think that's good for you. She owns me. Submitting yourselves one to another. Well, no, no, wait a minute. I'm not under the curse. She is. So, so, so I get to say that to her, but she can't say that to me. Because I'm no longer under the curse. No, no, no. Submitting yourselves one to another. And so out of, out of sheer respect for who she is and what she has earned in our marriage, she gets to say to me, I don't like that. I don't want you to do that. And by the way, not only that, but my entire life is open to her. There's, there's no locked doors. There's not one single thing I own that she doesn't have the password to. I'll take my phone and lay it anywhere at any time. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of what's on my phone. And I preach this in men's meetings, and they, they stiffen up. And, 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 and this is what I say to them. When you stiffen up, I know you're, you're hiding something. Any man that will not let his wife, I'll just, look, I don't, any man that won't let his wife have full access to his computer, don't, don't, act like it's an, it, don't act like it is an issue of respect. It has nothing to do with respect. Not for her to you. It has something to do with you respecting her. If your wife cannot have full access to everything you've got, you're hiding something and you're covering it up. We are to submit to each other. If my wife goes out somewhere and, 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 and she comes in at 
one or two o'clock in the morning and I say, where have you been? Well, don't you trust me? No, no, I ask you where you've been. Shoe stores don't stay open that late. Anyhow, so, no, so, 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 wait a minute. No, it's co-ownership. I own her, she owns me, and so because of that, we're mutually, we are mutually accountable to each other and submitted to each other. That's Bible. There's a mutual submission. I gave up ownership to her. She gave up ownership to me. And by the way, when, when you're in love, that's not really hard to do. When the honeymoon's gone and life gets settled into reality and you're not blind to each other's faults, it, it can get a little harder. Somebody said, love is blind, but marriage is the great eye-opener. Okay, that's true. So we have to mutually surrender. Now, here's the deal. If, if, if I am going to make it as a husband, and Susie's going to make it as a wife, and I'm going to work on my lifetime assignment, and she's going to work on her lifetime assignment, the key to partnership is us working together, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. That means you ought to be afraid to go rogue to go off on your own. You ought to be afraid to do that because you're going to answer to a holy God. And, and, and so the key is working together. Let's, let's bow our heads. Work together. Submit to each other. Yield. Give up ownership. You don't belong to you. You belong to somebody else. Thank God for it. Rejoice in it. Live for each other. Love each other. Listen to each other. You ready for this one? Obey. Submit. Line up behind each other. That's what marriage is all about. That's what make marriage that's that's what makes marriage great.